President Sullivan, and I appreciate being a part of the Back Pocket Podcast. Today is April 24th, and we are back. We've been gone for about a month. I know you're all curious why we were gone. Uh, really no excuse. We just chose to take a break. That simple. No excuse on our end. Uh, we're, we've just been grinding in the books, grinding uh, now on the football field. Spring ball's officially begun, and we're here. We're ready to go. And we've just got some loaded content and a great, great sixth po- podcast today. I'm ready for it. How, how are you doing, AI? Um, it's a pleasure to be back. I've missed coming here and, uh, you know, just casually going about a podcast because we have nothing nothing special here. It's just uh, two podcasters doing their best, enjoying trying, life. Trying to make it out in this world, heaven forbid. So let's uh, start our show as we always do, for our listeners, are an average quality. So a a great average quality that I had, um, we had a test, um, an engineering materials class, we had a test, test 75 points, and going into the test I said, you know, this would be a perfect opportunity to get a 69, because it's one of the rare times where your test is not 100 points, so you got to attack it. So I was planning on getting a 69. I really want to get a 69. I got the pe- to my test back yesterday, and I got a 68.5. So I was within range, but just not there. Very average on my end. Mm-hmm. I think an average quality of the groups is since we started coming to St. Thomas, we go to one Twins game a year, uh, and it just so happens that every year we go to the Twins-Tigers series, Just to, and it, Miguel Cabrera is always playing because... You know, he's the greatest hitter in our generation. Yeah. People just need to realize that. We forget about Miguel Cabrera 364 days a year, but somehow we remember to go see Miguel Cabrera on this day since freshman year. It's just kind of absurd that we've accidentally done that every single year now. And it's just been, like, we looked back on the photos, and it's just different people every single time we go. with it's just like, what? Same seats. <laughs> Yeah, we we'll, awesome. we'll, we go and we buy we buy our tickets at like seven ten and the game starts at seven fifteen. We buy eleven dollar tickets for like the section three hundred seats, just some classic nosebleed seats, and then we uh, just play the we play the game with the guys who are checking tickets, playing the law of averages on the on the guy on the third baseline. That's just fantastic. So once he like walks down or he leaves, we just all bum rush. Section 123, third baseline, try and get as close as we can. You know, pick an average spot. Don't be right on the third baseline, but far enough back to where it's normal. And, yeah, we had, like, 16 guys last night. It was pretty impressive. People just, you I think know. it was the first time that the Twins got the win, though. So that's, it was pretty Yeah, special. I think Twins usually lose every time we're there because yeah. it's the Twins. But, yeah, shout they out Twins. Pull, they did pull Miguel in, like, the seventh inning. They pulled Miguel. Yeah, they pulled Miguel. They benched, I don't know why. Might have got hurt. But. Yeah. And... We were just going nuts for Buxton, who's got who had going into the night. He had a point zero eight two batting average, and he finished the night at a point zero nine eight. Yeah, so he, he's on the rise. Yeah, he's on the up he, and was, up. he hit. What was he like two for four? He was one for three. With <laughs> one two for strikeouts. three with two strikeouts. One was looking backwards. K. Yep. And <laughs> so stupid. But hey, shout out Buxton, getting a little better. I love what he's doing. So uh, yeah, what we've been gone for now. How long? A month now? Yeah, I don't think we. Sh- this will be our only one we've done in April, but uh, we have learned a lot about ourselves in this month. Uh, one thing that Deck and I have learned, uh, 
the two of us are quite lucky. We, uh, we're going to Vegas because we know that the two of us going to Vegas, nothing but greatness can happen. Yeah, we are, we absolutely compliment each other, believe it or not. We, I don't know why we didn't know this before. We should start, I, I don't know how we didn't know, but we compliment well, we each other. We do know now. We know now. We compliment each other on the blackjack table. It's just out of control. Um, we were just feeding off each other. We all, we all found it, we found this out when we went to Aruba on our spring break trip and the Amix. Uh, who were funding the trip at the time were that we all went to the casino one night and I'd never been to a casino and AI have you, that was your first time at the casino as well yes, sir. yeah so it was our first time at the casino and we just started hitting blackjack and we were just we knew that like we had a combination of like aggression and then conservativeness yeah we had just a great balance of like all right it's time to tri- triple down and just go after it because we're losing money right now we need to get it all back yeah and we would do it and then we would notice that we're being too conservative and not betting enough because we were winning a lot. And then we'd yeah. bet a lot, and then we'd lose it, but then we'd bet even more and get it back. Yeah. So it's like so just a perfect balance. Yeah, and it's all it's all about the law of averages. We'd play that game, and we'd beat that drum until it's dead. Mm-hmm. And it's just absurd. It's, it's a great time. So we're going to be going to Vegas soon. We don't know when, uh, but we are going. Yes. Uh, another great thing was I got all of our episodes on iTunes, it took us roughly two months, but we've we've done it. The battle is finally over. We finally figured it out on our own. On our own, we didn't have to help have anybody help. No customers. We're strong, independent podcasters. We don't need no help. Mm-hmm. And it was great. We were able to. I I was able to just um, figure it out. I had to, it took me about a week to get all the episodes on because we had five episodes, a lot of content, content, content. But here we are. I mean, we're all on there. So now that we, I've done my job finally. Or we've done our job as podcasters. We need you guys to help us out. As marketing interns. As marketing interns. So we need you guys all to go on, on your podcast app and go on iTunes, search up the back pocket, hit that subscribe button, and once you hit subscribe, leave us a five-star review. And in the comment section, in your review, ask us, ask, ask us a question about a wildly average, any kind of wildly average question you got for us or anything you want to say. Ask it, we'll we'll address it on this podcast, and we'll go from there. It's going to create. Um, we just want to get to know you guys better, or we want you guys to get to know us, and we're just going to kind of create a family. I'm yeah, excited. We're trying to. We want to answer the questions that are pressing on your mind, and I think we can do that. Yep. Then another thing we got going on too is we have the wiffle ball. We're going to put on a wiffle ball tournament on May 13th. It's going to be a charity event. We're going to have. Uh, teams of nine, obviously, and I think it's gonna be about forty-five bucks to get in. Um, we're gonna five dollars a person. Five dollars a person. If, if you want to do a nine-person team, it would be roughly five dollars. Five dollars a person, which isn't bad at all. And then uh, I think we're gonna do it down at this park in St. Paul, which is like a super nice little area. Yeah, it's short. it's by like Edgecombe Road. At Ed, Edgecombe. Yeah. Whatever it is, but you'll see the Facebook invite, and it, we'll get after that. It's gonna be a blast. All the money is going to the, what's the dude's name? Chad Greenway. Chad Greenway, the linebacker. Yeah, yeah. All the money will be donated to the Chad Greenway Foundation. Chad Greenway is an outside or inside linebacker, or was an inside linebacker for the Minnesota Vikings. I believe so that's correct. We're gonna try and get him on the show once we donate. It's kind of a little trade-off deal. Right on. So since we've been gone, a lot of stuff has happened here on campus. Just gonna go through a brief rundown of all the uh, events that happened. 
Uh, our student president got in some controversy. That's been all resolved, and now we can move forward from that. Uh, there was a accidental shooting here on campus, and one of the students got hit. That's just It was just tragic, just a, a very idiotic experience. We were all at the lacrosse game, and we got yeah. this update on our phone, and we were really concerned, <laughs> and... Didn't know if we should run or just kind of like continue. <laughs> it was so cross. funny just to watch like the trap, just the wave of information just flow over everyone in the stadium. Mm-hmm. You just see like accidental shooting reported in Flynn Hall on campus, and everyone's just like, "What the frick? Like, yeah, what's uh-oh. going on? <laughs> Guy, we gotta go." <laughs> you just see like people slowly filtering out. Yeah, oh, everyone's gee. phone lighting up or ringing. It was yeah, it was out nuts. Of control. Yeah, but uh, back to the student president. Mazer Muhammad, right? Mm-hmm. He's back in back in charge. He got the vote of confidence. Um, it's good for him. It's pretty. It's a pretty tough situation to be put in, I'd say, for himself and everybody else. But I think one thing that was just nuts was how just controversies the air we breathe. It's happened. It just it's always happens, and it always it it doesn't really come back to bite you in the, the you know what. But it, I mean, it's it's whatever. Yeah, we did a great job of, uh, you know, just taking a step back and looking at the whole picture, and I think we probably did the right thing. Of Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't think it's that big of a deal because isn't he just going to be, he's done anyways at the end of the year, right, because they have to do a re-election or whatever? He's a senior? Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I don't really know how it works, to be honest, but uh, all I do know is uh, vote for J.B. Stender. He told me to say that. Um, I don't know what he's running for, but he's somewhere on the ballot. Just, just vote for J.B. Stender. Cool. The sun is out fully. It's now 100% out. I believe it's not going away. Yep. And that means college students are going to be outside more, doing partaking in a lot more activities outside. And last weekend, or was it two weekends ago, one of these past weekends, uh, the seniors had their little you know, oh. tour to Franzia, and everyone else was outside just, you know, enjoying the sun and whatnot. <clears throat> The following day, the Dean of Students sends us a message, and this is where Dak's going to fill you in. This was great. Yeah, so it, it, the, the email is titled, Message from the Dean of Students. When you ever get that, it's usually never a good thing. Um, so, yeah, I just thought the opening lines are just absolute killer here. It says, Dear St. Thomas Neighborhood Off-Campus Students, Tommy Pride, what does it mean to you? It means many things to me as the Dean of Students. That makes sense. It's a good header, good eye grab. I find myself in many situations where I talk with pride to community members about the amazing accomplishments of St. Thomas. So she goes into this whole, like, thing of how, like, we're a great school and how she's proud to be a part of this, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, she's like, on Monday, I found myself responding to numerous complaints from neighbors about weekend student behavior that does not represent the convictions of our community. The complaints include students urinating on neighbors' yards, students swearing and being disrespectful to neighbors, loud and booming music played for hours, and yards littered with plastic cup cups and wine boxes, yards that are part of a larger St. Paul community. So, I think uh, as a we the U, University of St. Thomas students finally got the party achievement award is kind of what it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It sounds like. Uh, we're finally getting recognition for parties that we throw here. Um, it is any of this shocking to you? Uh, I I was shocked. This this honestly shocks me because uh, he didn't have our back. I mean, 
they, there's just things that are just kind of like, why is this a, is this really an issue? Are are we were we that far out of line for the first weekend that there's sun? Yeah, I mean we're pretty good for 300 days of the year, but we get 60 years during 60 days during the school year where there's the sun and. Yeah, like, you you only have spring of 2017 one once a, once in a lifetime, and mm-hmm. I think we just kind of took advantage of the opportunity. On top of that, like you mentioned, it's not like it's San Diego or somewhere like tropical where it's just like 80 and sunny every day here. I mean, you, uh, six, we've been locked inside for yeah, the last four months. 64 and sunny is just like you got to just take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah. So I think. Yeah, just because the neighbors like that don't go to school here, that bless your heart if you don't go to school here and you live around here. But <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you just gotta know, like, hey, this is this is like a national holiday. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and honestly, I mean, I don't think the uh, this neighborhood watch lady is too angry about it. I just think she would have appreciated if we would have told her. But yeah, I mean, Mother Nature should have told you. It's pretty obvious, but it's all right. We'll uh, we'll move on. We'll we'll come back to it. So that transitions to our next segment perfectly. Uh, decals eye in the sky. You just gotta watch out and you gotta be aware. The decal eye in the sky has that uh, bird's eye view and he's seen everything. Um, lately here on campus, because of the strengthening conditioning coach, uh, he's let us know that people have impingements and imbalances left and right. And you just become more aware of all the imbalances. Yeah, let's go ahead and give a shout-out, though, to uh, Coach Stu and Coach Jones teaching us about these impingements. Yeah. So, yeah, we got to give a shout-out to Coach Stu. Coach Stu is uh, one of the trainers in, at St. Thomas. You'll see him. He's got he's a bald guy walking around the gym. He's got a book coming out soon He's got about impingements and everything. Um, it's got to be pretty sweet. I'm excited for what he's done. He's just got a lot of interesting workouts and you know, getting your body right. But they've made us known of impingements. Yes. Same with Coach Jones, another coach. And, and imbalances. Imbalances and impingements. Yeah. So I, I noticed and I said uh, we need a segment. We need a segment for something that I've noticed on campus that absolutely needs to be talked about. Mm-hmm. So we're calling it decal eye in the sky. My decal eye in the sky is what I've been seeing. What I've been seeing is I've seen a lot of girls uh, walking around here with compromised limbs. When I say compromised limbs, I mean... Like their ankle, like it's uh, some it's something to do with their foot. They uh, have like some sort of broken foot or shin splints or twisted ankle, twi- broken ankle, uh, ooh, t- broken ankle. Like <laughs> 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 here we go, we got that. <laughs> um, and <laughs> yeah, so we got just girls walking around in boots everywhere and crutches and I like it's so like. If you don't pay attention to these things, like you just like they just walk crutch by or walk by and you don't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. But I've just been like so blocked into just walking right with my all my impingements and imbalances <laughs> that I've just noticed like, wow, she's hobbling. Oh, it's because she has broken foot. And then you got another one who's crutching around like you help open the door for. It's just all these things that I've been seen around and just I had to make a note. I had to just put it out there. We finally got President Sullivan on the show. That was another big headline for us. That was one big goal that we had in mind. We finally got it done. We had an unbelievable interview with her on 420. It's a great interview. You guys will love it, so let's go ahead and kick it to that. Today is the day. We have finally done it. Our mission from the start has been is about to be completed. Dr. President Sullivan, 
has been our president here at, at the University of St. Thomas since July of 2013. She's our 15th president. She earned her degree at the University of Florida and has been a professor at UC San Diego and UNC Chapel Hill. She's had a major impact here at the University of St. Thomas, and I'd like to take this time to welcome President Julie Sullivan. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to chat with you today. To start off, we, for the 2017-2018 year, sent us a letter and had all, all the great new things about St. Thomas. Um, we wanted to clarify one point. There was one point, there was one paragraph in there that said, started with, among our capital projects this summer will be new art- artificial turf in O'Shaughnessy Stadium which we're not English majors. However, we just wanted to clear the air. It caught our eye. You said in O'Shaughnessy Stadium, which to us kind of meant a dome. So are we getting a dome next year? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I applaud you for your imagination. (laughs) No, we are not getting a dome next year. Okay, okay. We are uh, putting new turf on the field. Perfect. That's great, too. Yeah, we opened up our first podcast with your letter, um, Us Playing Football. We Mm -hmm. thought it was a perfect way to misinterpret the email, and we decided to tell our listeners that there's a potentially we're getting a dome. However, that's okay. We're not getting a dome. (laughs) But new new surface on the field and new track. And the track's going to be purple. Yes. Instead of red. That's going to be So that's going to be pretty awesome. I'm excited for that. The turf has been, I think it's time. It's it's the perfect time to get new turf. And for our senior year, too, we'll be the first team. and. It'll oh, be our last great. season as well. It'll be great it's stuff. Marvelous. Yes. Um, quick question. You are the president of the University of St. Thomas, so we were wondering if we could call you uh, POTUST. POTUST. So POTUS is president <laughs> right. of the United exactly. States. Exactly. I'm aware of St. Thomas would be POTUST. So what are your thoughts on that? POTUST? Make sure, make sure you get that tea. The on tea That's my thought on that. <laughs> I have been called worse, but make okay. sure you get the tea on the end. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So we do our research here at the back on the back pocket, and uh, we so we went googled your name and went to Wikipedia, our trusty source, and something <laughs> caught our eye. Um, we noticed that your birthday wasn't on there, and it was unconfirmed. Ooh. Or it was on there. It was on there, but it was unconfirmed. Oh, okay. So we just wanted to confirm with you what your birthday was. To wish you happy birthday in the future. July 27th. Uh, 56 or 57. 57. My lucky number is 7. 7, 27, 57. Okay. That's awesome. (laughs) It's interesting because on the Wikipedia page, it says 1957 slash 1958. Or 56 or 57. Yeah, one of the two years. It's unconfirmed. I've never looked at myself on Wikipedia. Okay. But no, it's 57. Okay. Yeah. And we also noticed you go to Florida, and so we just kind of wanted to get your story from just kind of when you started at Florida, and and just, like, would you like to elaborate on, like, your time there, and just everything about that? Sure. Well, I grew up in the state of Florida, and that's really why I went to University of Florida. And uh, University of Florida was the tradition in terms of my family. My uncle went there, actually played football there. My father went there. My brother went there. And there weren't really strong private schools in the state of Florida. Uh, When I was growing up, it was clear that University of Florida was the best school academically in the state. And we had a family tradition of going there. So I didn't really give it a lot of thought. I went to Florida. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had been going to University of Florida football games since I was six years old because my family were huge fans, and they always had season tickets, and they started taking the kids when we were six. So uh, it was a natural affinity for me. Um, But it is a large uh, institution. So I'll tell you a little bit about my time there, but then I'll also tell you that my son, uh, when he was in high school, 
received the full ride to Florida plus spending money, and I wouldn't let him go. Oh. He, he ended up going to Duke, and he received no money from Duke. We paid the whole thing. Wow. So, so it, it, um, Florida is what you make it, you know, because mm-hmm. I had classes. I started at University of Florida as a pre-med major. And my initial chemistry class was an auditorium that, you know, there were maybe 500 people in there. Right. Uh, you know, and I had several classes like that. I ended up, uh, so I started pre-med. I loved chemistry because I'm, uh, math happens to be my affinity. I really like math and puzzles and logic. And chemistry initially was applied math, really. Uh, but then I got to organic chemistry. <laughs> and again, I was, I was in an auditorium of 500 people. And, uh, you know, I, don't, I won't blame it on the professor, but it just seemed very abstract to me. I just, I could not connect. Mm-hmm. And so after I made, actually, I may have made a C. I made a B or a C. I'd never made anything except A's for grades my whole life. Mm-hmm. And I made either B or C in organic chemistry. I can't okay. recall. But it kind of rocked my boat. I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> maybe this is not for me. And then I, and, and I was as naive as I was. I said, I'll never be able to get into medical school now. And I changed my major. And so <laughs> I then changed my major to accounting. Okay. And then I go into an 1000 person auditorium for the first accounting course, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, I got a good education in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as my undergraduate time there, I really had to make it what I wanted it to be. Yeah. You know, I did, professors didn't really know me till I got to maybe my junior and senior year and wasn't majoring in accounting and then did have classes of, you know, 40, 45, and I did get to know faculty then, but awesome. I really did not before that. So I majored in accounting. I did uh, a three-month internship with what was then Ernst & Ernst, uh, the predecessor of Ernst & Young, uh-huh. and in Tampa. And since I was there three months, I was there January through the end of March, they had me do both uh, tax and audit. And I d- determined during that time period that I really didn't like audit, but I did like tax. So then when I graduated, I had a number of job offers from a number of the large accounting firms, but they all said you have to go directly into audit. You can't go directly into tax unless you have a master's degree. I said, okay, well, then I'll stay at Florida and get a master's degree in tax. I did. While I was getting my master's in tax, uh, University of Florida uses their master's students to help teach their undergraduate accounting. So I was a teaching assistant for that big introductory accounting course oh, wow. where, the person, like right, okay. where the person doing the lectures there in front of a thousand people, but then you go meet with your TA twice a week in sections of 30 to 40. Okay. So I had a section of 30 to 40. Well, I, I won't say I discovered I loved teaching. I probably rediscovered I loved teaching awesome. because um, they often say that what you play when you're young reveals some of your interests. When I was young, I played school. I was a teacher. My brother was a student. I didn't play house. I didn't play doctor. Maybe that should have been my clue then. (laughs) I wasn't going to be a physician. Uh, I played school. Then I went to kindergarten, and I loved school. I was teaching in um, Head Start. When I was in middle school, I would teach in Head Start in the summer. I would uh, tutor my best friend's brother in math. And so I kind of rediscovered that really teaching is what I loved. And so that, that kind of kickstart you into... So then I got the PhD. I just stayed at University of Florida and got a PhD. Cool. And then I started working as a professor. So I started school in kindergarten, and I'm still in school. 
That's insane. That's so awesome. It says you had three degrees from the University of Florida, so it was accounting. It's an undergraduate in accounting. Okay. It was a master's in tax. And then it was a PhD in business that was a little bit broader. It was accounting, but it also had a lot of economics and finance. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So you mentioned um, your son. So he got a full ride from academics, or was it? Academics. Academics yeah. plus spending money. Yeah. And you sent him to Duke. Now, um, it mentioned that you have... How many kids do you have exactly? Four. Four. Okay, yeah. so you have two of your own, and then you also have two adopted? Exactly. That's awesome. Do you want to talk a little bit like about your family life? Because sure. from what I understand, like your husband is out in California, UCSD, University mm-hmm. of California, San Diego, and he's is he the dean of students there? He, no, he's the dean of the Rady School of Management. That's okay. their business school. Okay. Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. all the way out there, and then you also have your own two kids and then adopted two. So would you like to like sure. tell the story behind that? It's I'd pretty be delighted to. Well, uh, I inherited my adopted children through my husband. My husband actually adopted the two children uh, from Ethiopia as a single person in the 1970s, which was completely unheard of. First, single men, single people didn't adopt, single men didn't adopt, and you didn't do international adoption. But the way that came about is um, he was in the Peace Corps. He graduated from uh, Cornell uh, late, late 60s, and he went into the Peace Corps, and they sent him to Ethiopia. And he was teaching. What they assigned him to do was teach at the National University of Addis Ababa. He was actually teaching in their business school. And uh, the Peace Corps, after he was there about two years, the Peace Corps in the early 70s pulled out of uh, Ethiopia. There was just beginning to be too much unrest. It was at the beginning of the unrest that eventually led to uh, Haile Selassie having to step down. So the Peace Corps left. And he stayed. <laughs> and he was, he was really enjoying his teaching assignment there. He really loved his students. He felt like he had kind of found his home. Actually, he was telling me he was dreaming in Amharic, and he was planning that that's where he was going to stay the rest of his life. But then the unrest really got much, much worse, and uh, they had evacuated all Americans from Ethiopia. And it got to the point that he couldn't go outside without being his students with him, or you would get shot at on the street. So he did finally leave, uh, but he was very sad to leave. said he cried all the way back to the United States. But as is typical there, an Ethiopian family lived with him, or he lived with them, however you say. Well, because uh, the the mother of the family cooked and cleaned for him, Mm -hmm. and he, you know, of course, paid for that, and that became a... uh, uh, their their primary source of income. Mm -hmm. So she and her husband lived there, and she took care of the house, and she was having children. By the time he left, she had four children, I believe. No, maybe it was only three. When he left, I think maybe she had three. And uh, there was a lot of uh, famine uh, as Haile saw the overthrow of the government, and there was a lot of famine, and there was a lot of fear of uh, really you know, more famine. And since he had been their only source of income, she really feared that she wouldn't be able to raise her children, that her children would starve. So she asked him to take one of her children. He knew them, I mean, because he had been there, you know, yeah. in the same household. And were they very young at this They're point? very young. Okay. And he said, I can't take one, I have to take two so they have each other. And I have to go back to the United States and make it legal. I can't just get on a plane with two of your children. <laughs> and right. so uh, he did. He came back to the United States and he went through the processes. He had a hard time doing it. Because in the 70s, right? yeah, it, it was mid seventies by then, and that was still. So he was actually 
uh, then teaching at University of Texas in Austin in their business school, and he is from Boston. He got help from Senator Kennedy in Boston, who got help from Senator Lloyd Benston, who was the senator in Texas, to help him do it, because basically they weren't going to give him visas for the kids in the United States. They were just... So it was a great story, mm-hmm. and awesome. uh, you know, when we were married, then the kids were older, and I inherited them. But they're doing very, very, very well. Yeah, where are they now? So our Ethiopian daughter is in Antwerp, Belgium. She actually uh, did all of her schooling in the in the U.S. Uh, she went to college at University of Pennsylvania, and she went to MBA school at University of Michigan. Uh, she worked in San Francisco for a while. And she met, uh, she was traveling in Barcelona, and she met a young man there who was from Belgium. They corresponded, they ended up getting, he moved to the States, they lived in San Francisco for a while and got married. Uh, And then he wanted to go back to Belgium. Uh, So they first went to Brussels, now they're in Antwerp. And they have adopted two Ethiopian little girls. And and so our, our little Ethiopian grandchildren are seven and nine. Uh, their names are uh, Ruth and Siam, awesome. and they live in Antwerp. And then our Ethiopian son lives in Charlotte. Okay. And then a uh, biological son, the one that went to Duke, mm-hmm. he uh, is a physician. <laughs> he made it through he organic did, chemistry. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, he went to medical school uh, at University of California, San Francisco. Okay. And there he met his wife, who's Chinese. Okay. And uh, they got married, and they're both physicians in L.A. Awesome. And they have two little boys that are, uh, let's see, James is three and a half, and Chris is one. So you got a lot of grandchildren. I do. And then I have a daughter that lives in San Francisco. Okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Very so, cool. And your husband, along the timeline, when he adopted, how old was he? Uh, my husband is 13 years older than I am. Okay. I was born in 1957, so okay. I'll let you do the math. Sure. <laughs> Okay. So he's okay. like in his twenties. He probably was probably no. He's born in forty four, so he would have oh. been thirty one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 And then the timeline. 31, 32. Yeah. yeah. The timeline between um, when he adopted to when he met you was that. We what? met in Chapel Hill, so it was quite a bit later. Oh, we you, were, met, you were teaching in Chapel. Hill. Yes. Okay. Right. Yeah. We met in Chapel Hill in the nineties. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did you ever meet Michael Jordan or teach him? I did not teach him. I have met him. Oh. Yeah. That's but awesome. I didn't teach him. No. That's he was a geography major, so he didn't take my business courses. <laughs> sure. Geography. You yeah. met him while he was a student, or is this much later? Uh, he's had some success. I think probably more later because he hang, he hung around in Chapel Hill quite a bit. Yeah. He was often yeah. there. He was in restaurants and he came to games. And, yeah. <laughs> okay. He uh, Dean Smith was really uh, played a huge role in Michael's life, and he would come back and often be with Dean. And Chapel Hill is a small town. I mean, yeah. so. You would see see them around. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. So you have your whole family is kind of spread out now. I mean, you're in Minnesota, <laughs> which is completely formed prior to the rest of your family. They being, come here a lot, being how cold it is and everything mm-hmm. like that. But and then you got your husband in California, both your um, your daughter and your uh, son in California. in California. And then you also have someone over in Belgium. So how is it like coordinating and you know staying connected? Mm-hmm being so far away all the time? That's a great question. Well, we, we do make sure we always get together for holidays. Okay. And we very aware that happens. I also have a mother in Florida that I'm very close to. Okay. Uh, so we often do uh, Thanksgiving. We've varied it, but Thanksgiving's often been in California. 
Uh, Christmas now, because we do our Christmas Eve service here at St. Thomas, has been in Minnesota through Christmas Eve, mm-hmm. and then we often go to California afterwards for New Year's. And, okay. and actually, this this time we flew early morning, Christmas morning, and went to L.A. where the grandsons were waking up to Santa Claus. But we were here for Christmas Eve, and our our son who lives in Charlotte, North Carolina, was with us. Okay. Um, then Easter, I was back in California. Mother's Day, they're all coming here. Uh, yes, every summer we go to Europe, uh, and the kids, you know, technology really helps. Yeah. Right. I, even right. the three-and-a-half-year-old uh, who's in California, he knows how to FaceTime me. Perfect. My son will just hand him his phone, and James will FaceTime, and, it, and it's so precious because when I show up, he's like, it's a miracle to him, Grammy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're there. But then he also understands it enough because he's visited me here in Minnesota quite a few times, and he's visited me in California a few times. He'll make sure he knows where I am. He he knows usually I'm here. So he'll say, you're in Minnesota, Grammy? Yes, I'm in Minnesota. And he remembers things about Minnesota. So he'll say, take me in the backyard and show me the bunnies. Is it dark there yet? He knows it gets dark here later. Can can we walk out in the garage and I can see your silver car? And so it's really, and he understands I can show him that with the FaceTime. That's so technology. And my husband and I FaceTime every night. Okay. okay. Cool. And, and it makes good. a difference to see the person. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was going to be my follow-up question. Yeah. With a husband-wife relationship being so long distance, mm-hmm. that must be difficult. So FaceTime. Yeah, technology. FaceTime is good. So we, we, have, uh, we make sure we see each other every two weeks. Uh, so he comes here, I go there for a weekend, or, or we, if I'm doing work somewhere, we meet that place, or if he's doing work somewhere, we meet that place. So we see each other every two weeks, and then we FaceTime every night. And, uh, you know, the good thing about FaceTime, sometimes we are more concentrated on talking to each other, but sometimes we just have it on, and it's like we're... Like we would be if we were in the same room. So I might eat dinner. He might turn on a television show. I might watch. You know, we kind of <laughs> we kind of just live, but it, but it's on, yep. and we both can talk to each other. You know, so, <laughs> as we're going about our business. <laughs> leaving California and you know coming to Minnesota. I don't know if you had too many ties here. So I mean, um, is your was your motivation to come to this cold state and from California, which is probably one of the best states allegedly. Um, just coming here was was it more just you wanted to be at St. Thomas? Was that your complete motivation? It was all about St. Thomas, That's awesome. and uh, St. Thomas recruited me for this job. Now, uh, what attracted me to the job, though, did include uh, be having the opportunity to lead a university that was located in a community like Minneapolis-St. Paul. So as I was evaluating the opportunity, clearly I was first and foremost about evaluating St. Thomas yeah. and the fit for me at St. Thomas uh, and my uh, the fit for me with the community at St. Thomas. Uh, but then I also, uh, particularly with... Uh, I have always been involved in connecting your education in the classroom with the community, whether it's business courses with the business community or other courses with not-for-profit communities or arts and culture. Or, you know. So I really thought that uh, leading a university in Minneapolis-St. Paul where you had such a, such a thriving community, so many community organizations, such thriving business organizations, it'd be a great place to connect your education to the real world as you're going along. Awesome. Yeah, so you, we know that St. Thomas has basically been run by Roman priests since... Roman Catholic. Roman, 
Yes, thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Roman Catholic priest since 1885. Right. Um, when you showed up first day in July, were there like any traditional barriers that you kind of mm-hmm. had to break through? Or were you just welcomed? And you know, I have to say, I was very concerned about that during yeah, the interview I, process. And I asked many times uh, the search committee, which was primarily our board of trustees. There were a couple of faculty and there were uh, a couple of staff on the committee. Uh, I kept asking about what challenges I would encounter being the first layperson. And because uh, I was concerned about that, you know, as the community, well, not only the first native person, the first woman. Well, and, and so your reaction is really interesting because there was a, a trustee on the committee who is a very senior judge. She's on the uh, on the federal bench. And she I kept asking about being the first lay person. And she finally and she's kind of a older, frail person. She banged her fist on the table and said, you haven't even asked about being the first woman. (laughs) And she was a little indignant. And I said, well, I figured if they got over the fact that I wasn't a priest, the woman hurdle might be a little bit smaller. (laughs) But but anyway, uh, I I credit the board with this because I believe the the board made it clear from the time they started the search that they were going to search for the person they thought was the best fit for the position in terms of their background and their expertise and their experience they were bringing to the position. And so the board made the assessment that the university was ready for uh, a layperson and ready for a woman. That's awesome. And uh, and they were right. I would say the community has really embraced me Mm -hmm. in in ways that have been uh, very, very gratifying for me. Um, as being the 15th president, have you found yourself um, looking back to the previous presidents, how they've gone about their mission? I know um, President Murphy has been here, was there for 25 years and was a key person in where we are today through the business school and the campus, uh, uh, implementing the campus in Minneapolis and in Rome. Mm-hmm. Can you explain how you have looked, looked back to that? You know, I think that's a really good question. The two presidents that I know most about are Monsignor Murphy and Father Deese, obviously. And, of course, I have a close relationship with Father Deese. I, unfortunately, was never able to meet Monsignor Murphy, but uh, I am close to a number of people who are close to him. Uh, Both of those presidents did remarkable jobs, and I think a lot about uh, different aspects of each of them when I think about my leadership here. Uh, Monsignor Murphy was very entrepreneurial, and he was a bold thinker. Uh, he was he was the one that initially invited uh, many of the people that uh, on the board of trustees that were very generous to the university and also helped shape our future. Monsignor Murphy was the one that bought Jerry Roundhorst, who was the founder of Opus Construction, mm-hmm. into our family. He was the one that bought uh, Guy Schinnaker. He bought Gene Fry. He bought a number of people that really, uh, you know, they're, they're part of our legacy well, they've as, a huge as well. Impact huge like, impact. Yeah. And he asked them as business people to help him run the university, and they did. And so I give Monsignor Murphy really credit for his boldness and for bringing in some different thinking and, and being willing to take risks. And when I thought about the Doherty Family College, I thought about him. I thought when I think about us doing new things, I think about him. Uh, Father Deese uh, was also a fabulous, fabulous president. And he continued. He, he was not afraid to take risks. He built on what Father Murphy started. Father Deese was the leader when we started our law school. 
that was a risk, and he felt like we needed to have a law school. It was important to uh, you know, kind of think about the, the full breadth of our programs and how um, the rule of law and justice are so important to the common good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing about Father Deese that I, I think about a lot is Father Deese is very humble. And when I think of leaders that are successful, humility is almost always a part of that. That's awesome. So, so I've learned a lot from both of them yes. and continue to. That's fantastic. Going more present now, but yep. speaking of being bold on your part, um, at when you were at University of San Diego, mm-hmm. you made them a change maker campus, and I think that was one of your main goals there and mm-hmm. something that you really hold on to there. Mm-hmm. And um, here, so our friend, just to transition a little bit, our friend Lorch, he's one of our dear friends, and he's, he's a little shy, but he's a good guy. He plays football here. Um, he had one dying question for you. Um, so the Changemaker campus here at St. Thomas, what is what is that about? Right. And, like, what is it? Because, like, I know it – we don't. We just don't know enough. Sure. What is it exactly? Sure. So there's a network now of 40 universities around the world that have been designated as Changemaker campuses. So it's a designation that you're a part of that network. And how do you become a part of that network and what does it mean to be a part? So there, it's a pretty rig, rigorous process. You have to apply to become a part of the network. And then it's about a two-year process where you're interacting with other colleges and universities in the network, as well as with the, there's kind of a central office that runs the Ashoka Changemaker Network. Mm-hmm. And they are evaluating you. They're come, they came for a couple site visits. They're interviewing you. They're looking at your programs. They're inviting you to come to their meetings and, and you're also kind of growing in your own way of articulating how you are a Changemaker campus and your dreams for the future. So the designation is basically is a celebration of all you have done in the past to live this vision uh, with your faculty, your staff, your students, and your alumni. And then it's a, a commitment to reimagine how you can do even more in the future. So... A Changemaker campus really celebrates, that means you have an, uh, a commitment that just uh, permeates your ecosystem, that's part of your mission, to make the world a better place. It's really all about our advancing the common good. Okay. It says that your community cares about making, making this more equitable, just, and sustainable world for everybody. Okay, and so does the Changemaker plat- um, give St. Thomas a bigger platform now yes. to be able to do that? Yes. Are there any examples of what or things? Would, that- my question was following, but most recently the Ashoka right. um, thing, that's a huge portion to the Changemaker. Yeah, and Ashoka sponsors the Changemaker. Yeah. Right. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah they're, they're the same like, thing. So there's Ashoka fellows around the world. Bill Drayton, who started Ashoka, he first went and found social innovators around the world and connected them into a network. And then in 2008, he said, it's not just people that are changing the world. Camp- universities and colleges are changing the world. So now he's gone to find... And so we're all part of that Shoka network. There's a Shoka Fellows, and there's a Shoka Changemaker campuses. So it's relatively new, then. Gotcha. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Right, cool. yeah. So mm-hmm. um, the Changemaker campus as a whole, what like what kind of like what what are some examples of thing like platforms that give like maybe opportunities like us, like students or mm-hmm. faculty or something to like make a change or make a difference? Is there yeah. anything that 
kind of does that for us? Yeah, I think so. So there's, there's a Changemaker Club, and there are get regular gatherings of students from the different Changemaker campuses. There's one very large one that occurs every February, and it moves around to one of the campuses. And there's always groups of students that go from each Changemaker university to the gathering where you meet other students, you get ideas, you, you know, develop relationships. Uh, we're starting something called the Center for the Common Good, and uh, we just hired a director for that. And that's really going to be a portal for if students want to be involved, say you have a passion about clean water, and you really want to find community organizations or projects that are going on within St. Thomas or with our alumni that relate to clean water. You go to the Center for the Common Good, and you talk to our people there and say, this is a passion you have, and how can you get connected to this issue? How can you learn more about it, and how can you find projects to work on? That's sweet. We have just a a little bit of advice, so I guess to backtrack here, me and Andrew are... um, Andrew and I. Andrew and I. Thank you, thank you. You asked for advice. Well, we're not English majors. (laughs) Yes, by no means. Um, We do our best to speak fluently, but thank you, yes. (laughs) Andrew and I um, are somewhat in your shoes. We are fantasy football owners. We run our leagues every year. Um, it's not ca- uh, Catholic affiliated, however, it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, we just had a few, um, maybe advice. Well, we know what it's like to be in your shoes, and we just had a few things that maybe just advice and <coughs> suggestions to help mm-hmm. you out. Um, so the first one uh, for me was uh, just to make sure that like everyone pays before they enter the draft. Mm-hmm. That way, we have no controversy with that. Um, another thing um, to make sure you you know set a to set a draft date um, before the season starts but not before the preseason because people get injured and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted to make sure you knew that kind of stuff and just have a good start date, which you, you've done very well with that. You always start after um, Labor, day. Labor Day, which is perfect. <laughs> yes. And you're, you're just, oh, that, I inherited that. That wasn't my decision. That's, that's a state of well, Minnesota well, crack. Yeah. We'll, we'll cut that. You, right. Thanks for making it start after Labor Day. Right. <laughs> you know, which you did there. Um, another yeah. idea that we had um, has to do with scholarships. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I'd like to. So yeah. we came up with the idea of um, presenting more uh, scholarship opportunities for uh, students here at St. Thomas mm-hmm. and get more students to come to more athletic events. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought maybe for basketball games, there's a half court shot that you could implement during maybe the Tommy Johnny game or other games or to the first game of the, the season. First game of the season yeah. that if they make the half court shot. Uh, they were presented a full scholarship to go here at the University of St. Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> Get um, tuition paid for or something. And th- it'd be a, you enter your name into a raffle and yeah. it'd be at random, so there wouldn't be any like specific selection process yeah. of uh, injust or anything. Type your of thoughts? Uh, yeah, I would love to have more students at our athletic events. I think it builds community and spirit, and we. Uh, so things that did that, I'd be very interested in. Mm-hmm. I think uh, a full scholarship for half court shot is probably that 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 doesn't feel quite like it equates. So, uh, but I'm certain there could be a prize that had to do with uh, helping with paying for schools. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we were just big picture guys. Full scholarship. Uh, so, yeah. have do you know anything about eFest, which was the business idea competition that we just ran at the business school? It's a national competition. And okay. so we had two teams from St. Thomas. And we were 25 teams. There were teams from colleges and universities uh, around the country. It was the first year, but we're going to do it every year. Okay. 
First prize, the winning team got $100,000. Oh. Second prize, 50000 And third prize, 25000 That's pretty good. And it was to start your, you know, to take your business idea and leverage it to either start the company or if you've already started it, to grow it. Okay. Yeah. So there are opportunities like that. The Fowler Business Competition also gives $10,000 scholarships. Okay. The Fowler Business Challenge. Okay. Um, you know, could we give a five hundred or a thousand? Sure, we could do something like that, but full tuition probably not. <laughs> <Okay>. for... <laughs> yeah, that was a little far fetched. Um, but if it, you know, uh, but I would like to get students to more games. Yeah, we also have another idea. So okay. This was I've been dying to get this one out there. Yes. Um, so, at St. Thomas, we we do our research mm-hmm. and we've noticed that there are an influx and there's a lot of people with the name Joe, and so we were thinking to prohibit. Or yeah, prohibit or enhance classroom atmosphere would be to not allow any Joes into the school for one or two years to filter out and therefore enhance class atmosphere. What do you think about that? That's a creative idea, but since I have a general counsel, I'm probably not going to take you up on that. Okay, I would think that's a discrimination. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll we'll think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we might be able to talk about. It. Okay. Yeah. We'll think Maybe about you it. could ask Joe's to change their name. Go by their middle a name. Nickname. Go by their middle name. Yeah. Or, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. We'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, what do you got? I have one more. Uh, go ahead, Fireway. Um, so everyone knows you're a Florida grad. Oh, yes. Comes, we're also in the Catholic institution. We're big time Tim Tebow fans. Oh, are you good? Have you met Tim Tebow? Oh, I have been where he has been. I'm um, trying to think. Um, I don't think I've had a one-on-one personal conversation with him, but I have been in rooms where he was. Cool. Yeah. He's a pretty powerful figure. Yeah, I, he I is. heard him speak, um, I think it was two months ago, at a church pretty, clo- pretty close to here. He's a very strong Christian. Yes, and mm-hmm. he spoke He's about it. And it, it was just very impactful. He's a really cool guy. Well, he really has a charisma, and he's done a lot of great work. He, mm-hmm. he has an orphanage in Asia. Uh, and he, he, yeah, he wants to adopt a child from every continent. Oh, I didn't that. realize that. Yeah. No, no. He, uh, Is he giving up his baseball career? Absolutely. Yeah, he's, he's still he's still swinging. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think it's also it's a good way for him to get his continue to keep his name very yeah. popular. Well, that's actually relevant. true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, so we will wrap it up here. I know we only have a few short moments left. We finish with two questions. Usually, with all our interviews, okay. Uh, we ask for uh, we like to know the most famous person you have met, a mm-hmm. story behind a good that, story, yeah. and then advice for all of our listeners. I don't know. If there's a good story behind it, but I've met Warren Buffett. Uh, I was invited to attend the. Uh, there's, uh, I think it's Fortune uh, sponsors it. It's basically one of the media companies sponsors something called the uh, Most Powerful Women's Summit. And it's usually held in California. And I went two years during my last few years when I was in California. And it's about 200 women, all walks of life, but are leaders in whatever their uh, particular profession or career is. And you have speakers. And so you have really great speakers. You have Warren Buffett. We had Hillary Clinton. We had a number of speakers. But Warren was always there. And he really interacted with people one-on-one. And And what I learned about Warren was really the reinforcement of the importance of humility with a leader. He is so, and and genuineness, he is so genuine. He is so down to earth. He is so humble. And while he has made all this money, his business ideas are very simple. 
it's, it's, sometimes sure. success doesn't have to be the most complicated idea or the, you know, the most novel. He has simple business principles that he follows, and um, it just I, I found him remarkable. That's unbelievable. Cool. Thank you for sharing. And then advice for our listeners. Well, I guess that you know, I think well that plus you know that kind of approach to life, but also I guess another thing I would say is. Um, don't narrow your options too early. So I never thought I would be a college president. I, that was never in my career path. Uh, what I have always done in my career is try to do whatever job I have at the moment the best I can and also use it as an opportunity to expand my network and learn more about other things. And then other opportunities come to me. And if you, if you have your path too set and too well-defined, you'll miss those other opportunities, and you won't be expanding your network and learning and growing in all the, the facets that you can be. Awesome. That's fantastic. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for taking time out of your day to do this. We really appreciate it. I know we had some conflicts, but we finally got to do it. Um, this was an honor, and I hopefully maybe... This could be done again in the future of yeah. a second follow-up interview. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrew, yes. and thank you, Declan, and I'd be delighted to do it again. It was fun. Let's get after it on the back end. we got a few segments left, and then we'll hit it with the final two portions that we always finish with. Uh, we're going to start off with a debate that probably will never end, but Jerry West got his two cents in it the other day, and we're talking about LeBron James and Michael Jordan. Yeah, so Jerry West says uh, he was talking more, I think he was talking more about Russell versus uh, Russell versus Michael Jordan, and he says about Russell. He said we're looking at a reincarnation of Michael Jordan, who might be a little better in terms of athletic ability. So of course, you know, Jerry West is doing his duty to be relevant. Still, wasn't a couple weeks ago he said that or that the logo needs to change because he doesn't want to be on the logo anymore. And it's like why? What's the like? N- n- I bet. Half the people watching NBA games don't know that that's Jerry West. Barely tell it's yeah. Jerry West. Looks like every other basketball player. Yeah. But also there, they can't even tell. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, so, yeah, just the heated debate will always continue with comparing everything to Jordan. Uh, or, more specifically, LeBron versus Michael, or now Russell Westbrook versus Michael. I, I honestly think Russell Westbrook versus Michael is more of a conversation in terms of playing style and stuff like that than LeBron versus Michael is. LeBron versus Michael is more like who's the greatest of all time and that's hard to do. That's like that's hard to compare, honestly. It's just it's just an ongoing it's debate an ongoing that'll thing. never it's, end. It's fun to just kinda like hear people's perspective because everyone comes at it at a different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will debate it. It gets personal at some points. You, you might have some uh, and lost friendships because of it or uh, split some, families. Split families. Stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, people stay true to who they believe in and it's just always controversial. Controversy you know. is the air we breathe. Just gotta accept it. Yeah. So, what we want you guys to do is to always keep us involved in this ongoing debate, so maybe that we can once once and for all get an answer. Uh, so go ahead and tweet us, Instagram us, Facebook us, everything. Just come after us. Give us give us things. <laughs> give us LeBron or Michael. Maybe even leave it in the subscribe comment and tell us who you think is better LeBron or Michael and we can just make our whole review section a LeBron versus Michael debate more controversy that has been going on in society right now is Neil deGrasse Tyson just posted a really cool video on Facebook regarding science and the lack of 
just acceptance right now. People have are denying science, scientific facts. I think he was calling them or something truths, undeniable uh, truths, something similar around those those lines. Yeah. Um, and this has sparked controversy because again, controversy is the air we breathe. Deck, you want to elaborate a little more? Released this video on Facebook, and it's like a four-minute video. It's like really professionally done too. Very well. And done. Um, it's pretty sweet, actually. I mean, it's really eye-opening. I think it's awesome. And it just kind of talks about how science is like being argued over, and like you can take a side on science. And he's like, no, there's no, there's no choice in science. It's either right or wrong. Like people, the, all science is is the hunt for the truth, and that's it. There's and that's all there is to it and stuff like that. So it kind of raised a huge, um, I, it raised eyebrows all worldwide. And, um, BBC came out with something today and it said like rallies worldwide about science and stuff. And it's just like masses of people in the streets with protest signs or maybe they're just gatherings, but it was just very impressive just to see all these people out here. It's insane. So you're seeing more controversy being sparked now. Yeah. Social media platforms leading <laughs> movements. Yeah, I just that's just crazy. Like a Facebook post from someone, and basically, yeah, just a, literally a Facebook post has caused worldwide rallies. Like not even an actual event, literally just a video. Talk about something. That's pretty cool. I think it's just impressive that you can bring people together like that. I don't mm-hmm. know how you do it. I think we try to bring people here. Just the average. Yeah, just with the average. Our average productions, uh, just in, in our consistency. Mm-hmm. That's basically all we do there. So now we're gonna wrap it up with how this podcast wraps up every every time. We're gonna go with what you learn and our feel good story. Deck, would you like to start it off? Yeah. So what did I learn? Is I learned that jeans killed communism in 1988 and 89. Jeans as in like pants? Correct. Jeans. Okay. Um. So Levi's jeans actually was the reason that communism died so i in my history class i learned this basically communist the communist governments couldn't control uh like what was coming into the country so like when people like tourists would come and they would like say we were from like they're from america and they wanted to come and tour like hungary or something they'd come in to the country and show them and and you'll you'd see like uh like, they would bring in all kinds of, like, music, just a lot of cultural stuff. They'd have jeans and, like, have all these brand names, like Nikes and Reebok, all that kind of stuff. And people would see this and, like, they would see this on TV, too, and they'd be like, I want these things. But the government just simply could not provide it for them. So then, uh, and so, like, people started getting real restless about it. And, like, all they didn't care about, like, um... Well, like, and then, so the communist governments would start to create it, because they're the ones running all these shoot, like, shops and stuff like that. So, it basically got to the point where, like, the, the real killer that everyone wanted was jeans, and people were killing for it, and so then they're all, then there started to be major revolts and big reform on communism, and that was in 88, 89, pretty cool. Very interesting. What do you got? Uh, I learned that luck is not something you can mention, in the presence of a self-made man. Which means people who believe that they made it through hard work and talent without any experience of just like a lucky situation or just something being present to you, um, don't believe in luck. 
So personally, I'm lucky to be here at St. Thomas through a personal experience of having a cousin that went here visiting her and then I fell in love with the campus. Like that, that would have never happened. I'm lucky that she was here before me so that I can come here. Uh-huh. So those are just like small things that people don't ex- don't even realize or don't accept that that was luck. They believe that they... That you got here on your own? They got there on their own. So uh. the, the quote is, luck is not something you can mention in the presence of a self-made man. Okay, I like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm lucky to be here. Fortunate to be here. We'll cut that. Um, so we'll finish with the feel-good story of the week. And the feel-good story is is we survived, me and Andrew, Andrew and I, survived the credit card game. So the credit card game is uh, when we go out to the bars, we someone has a hat on usually, and they put the hat out, and we all take our credit cards, and we put it in the hat, and we shake it around, and then we find someone close by to pick the credit card out of the hat, and whoever's card gets picked buys around for everybody so there were six of us last night right yep and me and andrew just played the law of averages a one in six chance is pretty good and we played the game twice played the game twice and won and we both we didn't our cards didn't get picked and but yeah, by times. winning we mean our cards did not get picked correct however the loser on this end the card that did get picked gameel our marketing intern absolutely got hammered as in no I shouldn't say that Gamiel got picked twice Gamiel got picked the first time had to buy and then it was like alright I'll do it again I'll play the law of averages got picked again so it's a feel good story for us but Gamiel but we do want to mention Gamiel Hall has a an article coming out about the Dean of Students email that we talked about earlier he interviewed her and is writing an article that's going to be released in yeah. the future. And yeah, it should be coming out in the next week or so, so keep your eyes out on that. Um, yeah, he's got a cool article that just kind of talks about, or with his interview with the, um, not the Dean of Students, but the Neighborhood Watch, and he's got a lot of good information with that, so uh, just keep your eyes out for that. It's going to be a good story. Awesome. So that's, that's our show. We are looking forward to getting after in the future here with the wiffle ball charity event on may 13th um get your teams ready we're gonna get after it on that day um and then we're gonna start rolling through podcasts here we got an unbelievable guest next week for you guys um joey tats you'll absolutely love him and uh we'll see you next week love you guys take care take care